This morning, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about why is it that God has given us those instructions? Because through many things, many times God just tells us to obey and, and we don't know the result of that obedience. And so sometimes we want to know some things. How many of you, let me ask you this, how many of you know how the, how the, how the earth rotates around the sun? How many of you know that? How many of you believe that it, or you know how it does it? How many of you believe that it does? And you believe that, but you don't know it. One is because we evidence, we see that something's happening up there because it gets night, right? And it gets day. Night and day. Something is happening, and we know that this morning was not the same as last night. And so by the evidence of that, we believe that there is something that is happening, although we do not, what, understand it. Notice this, that God says that I uh, I desire sacrifice, right? He talks about obedience. So notice this. This is the key here. That as we recognize that there are some instructions that God has given us and we may not know and understand fully, but God has given them for our benefit. And when we just receive what he says and do what he says, we, we have the benefit of why he said what he said for us to do. So let's look at this this morning. Um, as we talk about what I'd like to really focus on is an unexplainable life. And I believe that that's what God wants us to have. He wants us to have a life that is unexplainable. So God has called us to demonstrate love. And love is something that's really hard to explain, isn't it? Uh, and, I, and I'll say it like this because you know what love feels like. You know how love makes you feel. But could you really explain love to someone who's never felt it before? I mean, you can tell them how it makes you feel, but if they have never experienced it before, can you truly explain to them about love? And no matter what you say, that they will not comprehend it until they have experienced it. So notice this, that there are a, a, a people that are out there that God, that doesn't need to be just told about God. But they need us to take them to a place where they cannot go by themselves. And that is to experience the presence and the love of God. And uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. It's a beautiful passage of scripture and we're going to read it this morning out of the NIV. And and champions, I'd like for you to read that with me like you know it is the word of his power. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. Let's read it together now. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Notice that word compel. The word compel in the Greek is a beautiful word. It's, it's the word anakazo. And it means to, to constrain someone by force and to drive them toward, uh, toward something, to drive them forward. And let me just kind of give you an, an example of what that means. Uh, brother, would you come here for a moment as you... So, so, so notice this. It's anakazo. And what it means is that it means to compel or constrain someone by force and drive them toward something. The Bible says God's love compels us. And so what does it do? It constrains us by force. We can't help it. 
And what it does is it drives us towards something. So it's a picture of someone literally taking your arm. Oh, sorry. I'd always seen that and wanted to do it myself. Give me a uniform right now. But, but, but it's, it's, an, it's an analogy of someone taking someone's arm and placing it behind their back and driving them in the direction that you want to go. Now, if he tries to fight against this, what's going to happen? It's going to hurt him because he's in a vulnerable position where I, I have the discretion. So, 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 so notice this. That's what the word compel means. It means to constrain someone forcefully. See how forceful I was with him? And to drive them towards something or someplace. So notice what he says. He says, Paul says that the love of God or Christ's love, it compels us. Why? Because we believe that one died for all and because all, one died for all, all of us have died. Now, notice this. I love the way the Message Bible says it because the Message Bible says it like this. He says, it says, come on, you need to read that because this may describe you in some part. Come on, let's read it together now. If I acted crazy, I did it for God. If I acted overly serious, I did it for you. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first and last word my God, so if you, some of you, if you act crazy, so they're, they're saying, look, the love of God brings me to extremes. It'll act, it, you may look at me and say, man, that, that person's crazy, but it's the love that has constrained me forcefully and has driven me in a direction that maybe I didn't want to go, but he wanted me to go. And so Christ's love moved me to such extremes. It moves me to such extremes. Extremes, And so, so it's a beautiful word. And you know, at, um, I want to give you a, 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 an example of this, particularly biblically. At Jim's yesterday, there was a, a, a bag with questions on the inside of it. And every person got a question. And we began to talk about that question. And one of the questions that, were in the, that was in there talked about, other than God and Jesus, who in the Bible would you like to have lunch with? And somebody said, Elijah. I mean, you know, Elijah was a powerful man. And he was so powerful, he didn't die. He just kind of went up. He's like, beam me up. They went looking for him and couldn't find him. And, and, and so Elijah was so powerful. But you know what's interesting? In the book of Isaiah, Obadiah says something to Elijah. And he says to Elijah, he says, look, Elijah, I want you to know, I believe it's Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah, uh, I'm sorry, 1 King chapter 18. Isaiah is a little bit later. 1 Kings chapter 18, notice this. 1 Kings chapter 18, it says it like this. It says, the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. Obadiah was a worshiper of God. And he says that the spirit will carry you to a place that I don't know. Now, the spirit will come upon them and then the spirit would leave them. But the spirit is here today. It's in us. And so the question that I want to ask you today is this. Where does the Spirit want to take you? The question I want to ask you today is, where does the Spirit of God wants to take the champion to The real key here is part of our love, demonstrating our love. The key to worship is that God desires to make his presence known in your life in a way 
that it confirms to every person that he is Lord. He wants his presence to be demonstrated in such a way in your life. And that's why he says that, and you shall be my witnesses. And you know what a witness does? A witness just verifies <laughs> what they've experienced. Well, if you have nothing to really that's, that, that's powerful to witness to, then what's the effect of your witness? So let's take a look at this because I believe that all of our lives were meant to authenticate the power of God. In September, we began to look at a month of Sundays and talked about acceleration of maximizing the power of God. And I believe that September was just the beginning. It was just the beginning. But God desires that our life authenticate his power, authenticate his power. Hmm. Now, in the book of uh, Isaiah chapter 6, if you would turn there, please, because I think that perhaps the best way to illustrate this when we worship is to look at the worship uh, experience of Isaiah in chapter 6. Are you there shouting, huh? Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to look in verses 1 through 4 at this particular time because I want to give you three things this morning that I believe is so critical and so important when we worship, when we demonstrate and experience God's love. Isaiah 6, verse 1 through 4. Come on, champions, let's read that like we know it is the word of his power. Now, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs. Hold on for a second. That's an angel. So above him were seraphs. Now, let's keep reading. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory and the temple was filled with smoke. Notice this. One of the demonstrations of God's presence was smoke. <laughs> Why? It's because he was so holy they could not see him. But he, and so we're looking here at worship that invited God's presence and he showed up. This worship that, that, that invited his presence. And so I believe that as we are moving forward, that uh, as we look at the battle for worship, there are three things that I really want you to walk away with uh, today. Number one is that what worship does is it causes us to refocus our view of God, refocus how we see God. And, and as Isaiah says that, that I uh, began to see God as I, I saw the throne room of God. <laughs> he was high and lifted up and his train or robe filled the temple. And there were worship all around the throne. And they were declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And the whole earth, look, he says, I was worshiping and I saw up there, but it was the earth that was filled with his glory. So notice this, you'll, you'll get a different view of God, but where you are, you'll feel his presence. You'll experience his presence. And others that are with you can experience his presence also. So what we see here is that worship can cause us to refocus our, our view of God. And what it does is it pulls things off of us and it puts them on God, pulls them off of us. See, one of the, uh, the Bible talks about it in Romans chapter one. It says that, you know what, God, the, the Bible calls it a reprobate mind, a messed up mind, a messed up mind. Uh, when there were people that would worship the creation rather than the creator. And he says that God just, just leaves them alone to their own way of doing things. And so what we recognize then is that we recognize that 
uh, our focus has to be him. We, 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 we focus our view of God. Look at the second uh, part of this in verses 5 through 7. I, I love Isaiah. The reason I love Isaiah is because Isaiah in chapter 5, if you read the book of Isaiah, Isaiah in chapter 5, what he does is he goes around and he's looking at other people. He goes, woe to them, woe to them, woe to them. And he's looking at other people's lives at how messed up their life is. But notice what happens when God's, when he began to refocus his view of God, when he began to worship God. Notice this. Let's read it together. Now, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King and the Lord. He says, you know what? I've experienced his presence and, and it's transformed me. It has changed me. That before I was looking at what was wrong with everybody else, but now his presence has caused me to look at myself and to examine my heart. And he says that, look, I am a man of unclean lips and I've said some things about people that I should not have said. Why? It's because it wasn't demonstrating the love of God. I did not do it with God in mind and as a result, it wasn't worship. And he began to cry out, ah, my God. And notice this, what happens there is that his worship and his repentance, because he said that I'm a man of unclean lips, it gave him access to the grace and the mercy of God. Look at this next part here. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal. In, come on, you need to read that together. Let's read it together now. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see this? <laughs> so notice this. You know what fire does? It purifies things. <laughs> so he's worshiping God, and the ministering angels come to minister to him and touched his lips. And, and, and when, he, when they touched his lips, look at the, the fire, the coals were so hot that the, even the angels couldn't hold them. And he brought them and he purified his lips. And so the second thing that we see here is that worship causes us to evaluate ourselves, causes us to, to refocus our view on God, and then it causes us to evaluate ourselves. Because in the next verse, the, 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 that angel says that, see, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away. And your sin has been atoned. <laughs> Man, I tell you, God has taken us somewhere with great power. We've got to prepare for what God has already prepared. Now, what happens is that you start seeing things that are in your heart that should not be there. And the love of God starts compelling you <laughs> and starts moving you toward what he desires. And as a result of that, when we, the Bible really tells us in a very clear way that we start seeing things and then we start changing the way. And so when Isaiah saw and Isaiah confessed, he began to get access to mercy and grace because of how he viewed God. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says it like this. Let's read it together. Now, notice this, that first of all, he was complaining about everybody else around him. The second thing that we see is that when he got a vision of God's, when he, when he, and when he began to worship and see that worship of God, that it caused him to refocus his view of God. It caused him to evaluate his own heart. And he says that, look, 
I'm not even qualified to talk about other people. See, this is so critical, and the reason it's so critical is because the Bible says, and, and Johnny says that, how can you say you love God if you do not love one another? So it says that if you say you love God but not one another, then you're a liar and the truth is not in you. So notice how God kind of instructs us and develops us to a place. And let me show you this. After he does this, then he gets some instructions from God. After he's accessed the mercy and the grace of God, <laughs> after he's changed, humbled himself as, as, as he's repented and as he's turned, God heals God hears and God gives instructions. Notice this. Let's read it together in verse 8. Together. Now, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send and who will go forth? Look at this. He says, who, I, who shall I send and who will go forth? Not me, but for who? <laughs> Come on, let's start at the top one more time and let's read it together. Now, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who shall go for us? And I said, here am I. Mm, my God. <laughs> so notice this here. First thing was it causes us to refocus our uh, view of God. The second thing we do is it causes us to evaluate our own, ourselves, our heart. And then the third thing we can see is that worship causes us to focus on what God wants. Focus on what he wants. Mm. And when we focus on what he wants, then we become obedient to what God wants to do through us and with us. And we don't many times know the impact of that, but if we'll just accept his instructions, if we'll just worship him and focus on the cre creator, that we'll see him differently, we'll see ourselves differently, and we'll know that we've got an assignment, we've got a person, we've got a purpose, we've got a mission that God has given us. And this mission is really not all about us because why? You're not the main character of your story. You're a supporting cast member that has been created by God to make the main character look good. Who is who? Him. Now, you know what's interesting about this is that in many respects today, as long as God does something for us in our lives personally, we really feel good about it. As long as God's doing something for me, I feel good. But when this is our focus, what happens is that we lose our dependence on the Holy Spirit and we begin to manufacture our own power. And so over and over again, one of the things that we see in the book of Acts is that we read of people being in awe of the believers' lives. They're in awe of their lives. They're in law, in awe of what they are called to do. They're amazed at the courage that they have. Uh, they're, they're baffled by their wisdom. Um, they, they, and you know what's interesting? They also admired their lifestyle. But the Bible tells us in the book of Acts, when the early church came together, that there was such love that they had for one another, such love that they had for one another, that those that were not in the faith were marveled, marveling at their, uh, their lifestyle. They marveled at their lifestyle. They were amazed at how they lived their lives. And they, they wanted to be part of the kingdom of the fellowship. They wanted to be part of it. See, what God is saying is that people should see the kingdom before they ever come into the kingdom. It's called spiritual immigration. That they should see your life and they should know what the kingdom is like even before they come into the kingdom. So, Acts chapter 4. Remember it's when uh, they were fastening their eyes upon the disciples. Peter and John came in and they fastened them out, their eyes upon this man that was sitting by the gate, 
And he was sitting outside the temple, and when they looked at him, they said to them, Sir and have I none? So he was looking for one thing, and they were, and God had given power to them to give him another thing. Mm, he was looking for legs. I mean, he was looking for arms, and God wanted to give him legs. He's sitting, and uh, the Bible says that Peter and John said to him, they said that, um, Sir and have I none, but what I have I give to you. Rise up and walk in the name of Jesus. It wasn't a 30-minute prayer. It wasn't a 20-minute prayer. It wasn't a 15-minute prayer. They said these words with such authority to authenticate the power of God. They said, rise up and walk in the name of Jesus. And the Bible says that this man got up and where he could not go before he was going, he went into the temple and he was like worshiping in the temple and they looked at him and then now the religious group wanted to know what happened to this man. So they called Peter and John in and as they called them in, they wanted to know exactly what had happened. And they said that, you know, we want to know what happened. He says, well, I don't know what you're talking about. But they said, by which name did you do this? Because why did they ask that? Because the name had power. And by which name did you do this? What was the authority of the name that you? They said that it was the name of Jesus. Now, they were looking at them and wondering, had they learned this somewhere? Had they been taught this? No, 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 no. It was the power. They were authenticating the power of God. And that's what God expects even for us today. And notice this. In John chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, as they were being questioned, (laughs) notice what happened. Let's read it together. Let's read it together. Now, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Would you rather somebody talk about you or have a PhD? Or would you rather, would you rather your degrees to be what's worshiped? But they looked at them and they said that these men are unschooled, they're ordinary people, but there is something about them. They have been with Jesus. And notice this. Come on, let's read it. Let's read it together now. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing. Notice this, that these, the disciples of Jesus, were living an unexplainable life. And that's what God wants from each and every one of us, to live an unexplainable life. And how is when we worship and love one another, that we begin to view him differently and we begin to see ourselves differently, we begin to evaluate ourselves, then we come clean and then notice what we access God's mercy and grace and then not only that, God speaks and when he speaks that we know exactly what he said to do. What I want you to do is in the book of Acts chapter 5 verse 16, if you will put that up please, Acts chapter 5 verse 16, because this is what's so important as we wrap up today. In the book of Acts chapter 5, verse 16, it's a very powerful principle that we see when they worship, when they love God, when they served God, and there was such unity, there was such love, that something happened in their lives. That when we look at the book of Acts chapter 2, we look at the book of Acts chapter 3, when the Holy Spirit had come, that they would pray. And whenever they prayed, that God answered their prayer. Whenever they prayed, God answered their prayer. Come on, would you read that together? Now, also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits. How many of them were healed? 
How many again? Look, in the Bible, when God birthed the church, there was such unity, there was such love, there was such worship and purity that every time they prayed, God answered each one of their prayers. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5. And it was not until there was disagreement in Acts chapter 6 and when people began to focus on themselves that it was at that moment not every prayer they prayed were answered. Ananias and Sapphira focusing on themselves. They began to worship themselves although they wanted the reputation of someone who was a true worshiper, Barnabas. And they began to worship what they had rather than who had given them what they had. And the Bible says after that point, not all their prayers were answered. And they did not do initially what God sent the Holy Spirit to do is to authenticate his power in their lives.